I'd invite you now just to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Today we are taking a break, a brief hiatus from our sermon series through the book of Exodus as we have been walking in the, the last couple few months through the book of Exodus. We're taking a break uh, today and then as we launch next week into the Advent season. And so uh, I can't believe it's already that time of year, but uh, we will launch into Advent next week. And over the next four weeks, we will look at these amazing realities that are brought to us through the incarnation of our Savior. We will look at the realities of love, joy, hope, and peace. What greater time do, do we have that, that we need to be oriented towards these realities? And so over the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Advent together as we walk through those things that, that have been brought to us in the birth of our Savior. But today, I just want to take some time to look at this brief story that's dropped into the Gospel of Luke. And today is really just a desire from my heart, just, just to share a, a pastoral plea for all of us, to point and to help challenge us and reorientate us in this season. So if you would, please stand as we give attention to the reading of God's Word. And for those who are joining us via the live stream, we welcome you here. Uh, I wish we could all be together, but in this season, we're, we're making the most of it. And so I'm so thankful for, for those who tune in regularly, who are, who are joining us, not in presence, but in spirit. And so uh, what a joy it is to come to God's Word together. So let's read here in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Father, I am thankful for the gathering of your people, that you have called us to yourself, that through the work of Jesus, we can come here today not standing on our own righteousness, but only on the righteousness of Christ that has been applied to us. So we come as a needy people, we come as a people crying out to you in a, in a difficult and challenging season, wanting to, to reorientate our heart and our affections towards you. I pray that you would show up through your word, that you would challenge us, that you would shape us, that you would hold us fast to the truth of who you are and what you have accomplished in this world and what you call us to be as your followers. So guide me through this passage May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. I pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I think we all know that it's no secret that uh, 2020 has uh, been a pretty rough year. In fact, most of you are probably tired of even hearing people bemoan the fact of, of how bad 2020 has been, right? We've seen all the memes, we've seen the jokes made, you know, if, if 2020 was this, 
you know. And it has. It's been it's been a, it's been a rough season for all of us. We've we've all felt the strain and the struggle. The emptiness of this room is is even testament to that. And we're fighting to hold on together to 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 walk through this season. It's been a really interesting time. And looking back over the, the past nine months or so through this whole pandemic time, one thing that's been really fascinating and interesting to see for me is just uh, the way that new words have, have appeared or the way that, that words have, have, have started to be used together in ways we would have never thought about. You know, words like social distancing. Never used to talk about that before. Hybrid learning. Self-quarantine. We used to call that just being an introvert. And then, you know, this this idea of community spread. If you you had said that before 2020, you probably would have been referring to some kind of potluck or something, right? So we have all these these strange words and these concepts that have been introduced to us that that, that we're trying to, to navigate through. And one thing that's been a really interesting social experiment throughout this whole time, is, and that we've all kind of been forced into, is the constant efforts that have been undertaken by civic leaders and others to, to try to uh, designate what is necessary or what is essential for society to continue to function. And it turns out it can actually be pretty tricky to determine that. To, to, to say what does a community actually need to continue on? We've seen the repeated word use of words such as critical, necessary, essential. And in their efforts to, to, to kind of assess what we can cut out or, or what we can at least suspend for at least a period of time, we've had to kind of try to define certain categories. And so we begin to see these new definitions in some of the executive orders that have been set forth, such as this. Non-essential personal services means services and products that are not necessary to maintain an individual's health or safety or the sanitation or essential operation of a business or residence. Then they've, they've gone forth and had to define what necessary activities are, what necessary travel is, what defines a critical business. Something that we can't shut down, that we have to keep going. And in an effort to do that, then when you actually read the order, it takes about 15 pages to try to nuance and detail and, and, and kind of try as best we can to kind of unpack what that is. And even then, there, there's disagreement over how can you, how can you keep this open and, and, and shut this down? You know, they, they originally tried to shut down uh, liquor stores, right? And then everybody started freaking out. It's so like, hey, we're going to make those essential. Marijuana dispensaries, firearms, we can get our guns and we can get our booze, so hey, we got our priorities right. We, we have to have those. Businesses have been called in this season to cut back to minimum basic operations, whatever that means. And all these things in theory have been an effort to answer the question, what can we absolutely not live without? What is critical, indispensable, vital, without which collapse is imminent? 
And frankly, I think we all have at some level, individually even, been confronted with this question. What is essential? What is necessary? What is critical to our lives? And for many, that's probably been a good exercise. Maybe being forced through, through kind of the quarantine period to, to really cut back on things. To be forced to, to stop. Maybe, maybe you've realized that, man, maybe the busyness of life is, is a little overwhelming. There's a freedom in, in not having to go to this or, or be at that. Maybe it's helped you kind of clean things up in, in kind of your rhythms of life. But we've all been wrestling through what is, what is necessary what is critical? And I think in this brief story, we see a challenge for us to consider what is absolutely necessary in our lives. So I think we can see through this, this passage two warnings and then one critical encouragement for us. So the first warning that I think we can see here in this text is this is that important things can easily overshadow necessary things. Important things can easily overshadow necessary things. So this story begins with Jesus traveling with His disciples like He did so often. And He arrives at this village. We know from other passages and the family that He's, that he's spending time with that this is the village of Bethany. And as they arrive here, this woman, Martha, receives Jesus and His disciples into her home with this hospitable welcome. And then, like Jesus does, once inside the house, He begins to teach. And we're told that it is Martha's sister, Mary, who sits down at Jesus' feet to listen to Him. But Martha, however, very quickly, Luke tells us, is distracted by much serving. She is overburdened by all that there is to do. And this is understandable, right? I mean, Martha has just received likely, potentially, 13 unexpected guests into her home. I mean, it's not like Jesus texted her ahead of time say, hey, we're going to be in town, can we stop by? This, this likely was Jesus came into town and, and, and Martha received them in. That's a, that's a large group to entertain, right? To likely provide a meal for. I'm sure that many of you, especially the, the women in here who have who've hosted maybe a large group, can relate with Martha. There's a lot to be done. Oh my goodness, the, the house is a mess. Um, is there going to be enough food? Is everybody going to feel comfortable in here? What are they going to think of me as a host? Like, like all that overwhelming burden that, that comes into hosting to, to receiving people into your home. But Martha wants to be a good host. And there's a lot that, that, that probably needs to be done. And as a, as a gracious host who receives this group, Martha sets herself to the, the honorable task of caring for Jesus and His disciples. She had a heart to, to serve them, to care for them. But these important and even honorable efforts began to quickly overshadow something else that's far more valuable. And I think we would all do well to recognize this truth. That life is filled with so many seemingly important things. 
but they can easily overshadow and push out necessary things. You know what the list is in in your own life. Your to-do list, your daily schedule, you know what fills that. To ask, what, what, what can I cut out? I mean, sometimes it just seems impossible. Like there's not enough time to accomplish it. There's not enough, enough time to, to give attention to it. Whether it's your kids, your job, your career, your hobbies, your social uh, circles. And in an effort to try, to try to do well and give proper attention to these important things, sometimes we can lose sight of, of kind of a bigger picture that's going on and something, something greater and more valuable. I remember probably one of the first sermons I ever preached years and years ago. Um, I don't actually remember what, what the sermon was about, but I remember this little illustration that I found, and it's always stuck with me. It's kind of like, it says like, what's the difference between the size of a quarter and the size of the sun? And you're like, you can't even compare the two, right? Like they're, like, like it's so massive. But did you know that you could take a quarter you can kind of hold it up at the right place, right in front of your face. And you can actually cover over the sun. And I think so many times in, in our lives, we, we, can, we can look so closely at things right in front of us, right, you know, that we have to do, that, that we're involved in, that we, that we just lose this sight of this big, grand picture of what God is doing in the world, what He has called us into, how He's invited us to know and to love Him, to, to serve Him. And yet we get so bound up and worked with so many things right in front of us that we can't even see that. Like it's easy for us to kind of sit here and criticize Martha, right? Like Martha, Jesus is in your home. He's in your living room giving a, like a, like a private lecture. What are you doing? Like, like stop what you're doing and get in there and listen to Jesus. Like, wouldn't we all just love and long to, to do that? But she's so focused on the task at hand and she feels this obligation to do this and she misses this incredible moment. So we have to recognize the, the tendency in all of us to allow important things, big things, to overshadow Maybe necessary things. The second warning that I think this passage gives us is that inward focus will often lead to outward complaint. Inward focus will often lead to outward complaint. Martha is suddenly stressed out with all the work that has to be done, with all that's going on, and in her frazzled state, she comes over to Jesus. And where in the passage, Mary, Mary is seen as, as sitting at Jesus' feet. The language that is used is that Martha comes and stands kind of over Jesus. Comes, stands next to Jesus. And she says to Him, potentially interrupting Him in what He's doing. And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. She says three, three clear things. She says, don't you care... I'm all alone. Send somebody to help me. Out of her frustration, she cries out, don't you care, Jesus? Where have we heard that before? You remember the story in Mark where where Jesus and His disciples are in a boat 
crossing the Sea of Galilee and this, this sudden crazy storm overwhelms them. The disciples are, are terrified or freaked out that they're, that they're going to be you know, capsized. And where's Jesus? He's got his head on a pillow sleeping in the stern of the boat. They wake, they wake him up and they, they, they say, Jesus, hey, Master, do, do you care? Do you care that we're all going to die? And Jesus responds, why are you afraid? Why don't you actually have faith? And Mary and Martha here also cries out, Jesus, don't you, don't you care about me? Do you, do you see me? She says, I, I'm all alone here. Do you expect me to just do all this by myself? Am I the only one who thinks this is important? Do you all just expect me to, to, to keep serving you? What about me? She, she looks inward just, just solely on herself and is evaluating her situation and her condition. And she erupts in this complaint to Jesus. She goes so far as to give Jesus a command. She says, tell her to help me. If you have kids, I'm sure you've all experienced a moment like this. Hey, son, go, can you go, you know, clean the room? Can you clear the table? Well, well what about them? They need to do that. They, they need to help. Like, like I, I can't just do this myself. Other, others should, should be in this with me. Why do they get off easy? Why do I have to walk through this struggle? And don't you feel kind of bad for Martha in some sense? Like, like she gets kind of the, the worst moments of her life kind of highlighted for us. Like remember in John 11 when her brother Lazarus dies in that story? Like word is, he, Lazarus is sick and word is sent out to Jesus that, that Lazarus is, is, is basically dying. And Jesus in this obscure way says, hey, we're going to hang out for a couple days. And Jesus waits. And in that time, Lazarus actually dies. Then a couple days later, Jesus says, okay, okay, hey, let's go to Bethany now. And Jesus shows up. And Martha, is the first one, comes out and confronts Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had showed up, Lazarus didn't have to die. I knew that you could have healed him. Like, why weren't you here? You know, and Martha kind of comes across like the original Karen. You know, that like kind of, kind of pejorative term to describe kind of an entitled, angry woman. Like, but, but can't we all relate in some way to Martha? Right? How often do we look at our circumstances and all the work that we're doing, everything that, that, that we're burdened by, and cry out to God saying, don't you care? Do you see what I'm dealing with? Come on, Jesus, it's obvious. I can clearly see the answer. If you would just do this, if you would just show up, then my life wouldn't have to look like this. I wouldn't have to go through this struggle. If we could get the right people elected, the, our nation would be so much better. If people would just do this, things would be better. If people would enter in to my perspective and understand it like I do, then we'd have all everything fixed. But every time that we turn inward and merely look at ourselves and think that we see it perfectly, think that we have the answer, usually that's going to erupt in an outward complaint. 
Just hop on Facebook and Twitter to see the evidence of that. We need to recognize in, in us, when we look at ourselves, we usually will erupt, and sometimes that ultimately is an eruption towards God, to question His goodness, to question His faithfulness, as if we know better. But the passage then shifts with Jesus' response. And we see this this corrective that's given to us. I think it is that right priorities will guard against a critical collapse. Right priorities in our lives will guard us against a critical collapse. Listen to how Jesus responds. He says, Martha, Martha. And some may read this as a scolding tone to this woman. But when I read it, I, I, just, I just hear Jesus in a calm and gentle voice. Saying, Martha, Martha. He challenges Martha to consider what she has identified as most important. He says, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. You are worried and upset about many things. And he reminds her that there is only one thing in this moment that is actually necessary. And it's actually her sister Mary who has recognized this and chosen the good portion or the best part. He's saying to Martha, he's saying, hey, hey, you want Mary to come and, and help you serve this meal? Well, actually, Mary has chosen the best thing on the menu. She is enjoying the best part of this meal, and, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deprive her of that. I'm not gonna take that away from her. And this isn't, I don't think, for Jesus so much as a, a, a scolding and, and kind of pitting, hey, you know, terrible Martha and virtuous Mary. No, I think he's actually inviting Martha to come and experience this with them. To say you don't have to be overwhelmed and overburdened by all of this, but, but you can actually receive this as well. But Mary probably would have been expected to help serve this. As a sister and and, and, an additional host alongside of her sister, as a woman in the the home, she would have been expected to probably join in and and help in this. And Mary chooses to cut cut against expectations of what other people maybe thought she should be doing and commits herself to what she sees as, as absolutely necessary and essential in this moment. She says that there's something far greater that I need to do right now. I need to sit and I need to listen to Jesus. The food and all the other tasks can wait, but I am not going to miss out and neglect this moment right here. And I think that, that, that how, where Luke places this story in his gospel is actually pretty important. The beginning of chapter 10 we see that Jesus sends out these 72 followers. And they're sent out to go and ultimately proclaim the kingdom. And they return back to Jesus in verse 17. And, and, and they, are, they are pumped up. They've seen victory. They say, they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. 
Like they're out on mission. They are, they are, they are going out and, and laboring for the kingdom. Then Luke gives us the story of the Good Samaritan just before our story. And in this story, we're, we're challenged to kind of look out beyond ourselves to, 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 to care for those who, who are hurting and even, our, even to love our enemies in this, in this, this active way. But I think as, as Luke inserts this story here, he's wanting to contrast that, that, that there are times that God calls us into these active efforts to labor hard, to run hard. There is much important work to do. But at the same time, is the challenge and the call to reflect and recognize that there's something that can't mean to be neglected in all of that. And there is a time like Mary to sit at Jesus' feet and to receive His Word. So if Jesus spoke to you, if He looked you in the eye and said, hey, you are worried and you're anxious about a lot of things. What would that list be for you? We all have a lot right now that we can be worried about. Maybe you are actually worried and fearful of contracting this virus. Maybe it's unexplainable, but you just, you just feel an overwhelming sense of fear in that. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're fearful of, of unknowingly spreading this virus to, to other people. You're not sure how to navigate life right now with this going on. Maybe you're troubled about whether or not your business or the business of your friend or neighbor is going to actually be able to hold up under the economic strain that's going on. Maybe you're just upset about all the regulations that seem to be crushing the economy. Like, what are we doing? How long can this keep going on? Just frustrated. Just upset. Who, who, who does the government think they are in, in putting these things out? Perhaps you're concerned for your kids and just how they're going to manage this school year or this kind of new social experience. For your kids, whether it's in-person learning or hybrid learning or remote learning at home, like like how long can they can they sustain this? How long can you as a parent, as a mother, also come alongside as teacher? Do you fear the effects of another lockdown? And just what that's going to do on your own sanity? On your friends, your single neighbors? When you see and hear stories of... of, of Abuse that continues to kind of rise and, 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 you know, even, even suicide rates that seem to be, seem to be rising amidst all of that. Does that just, that just create just an angst and a struggle over what's going on right now? And at the same time, do you also maybe feel a sense of concern and fear for the hospitals and the, the nurses and friends that you know that are, that are, that are working ridiculous hours trying to care for and, 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 and take care of the sick? Like maybe you're just anxious about how unstable our society feels right now amidst 
the battles surrounding elections, surrounding race relations, when you see on the news just riots and destruction in the streets? Does all of that just, just create in you this just overwhelming sense of uncertainty? And all of that is just what 2020 has brought on the normal challenges of life. How to be a husband and a wife. How to be a father and a mother. How to be a faithful coworker. How to, how to, you know, find and, and, and navigate your career. All your, all the, all the challenges and strains of just normal relationships has all just been dialed up and amped up in this season. And there's just so many things that can weigh us down. So for you, what is it that, that Jesus would cry out and say, Hey, you're, you're anxious. You're troubled by many things. And we have all of this facing us and these things are important issues. My, my, my effort here is not to minimize these things. Like these things are, are, are really important. Like it's not like we can just ignore all of this and pretend like nothing's happening. But amidst all of this, have you been able to stop and actually ask yourself, what is most necessary right now? What is, what is critical in your life? And I believe that in this brief story, Jesus points to Mary and says, don't neglect this amidst everything else. Don't let this go. And ultimately, what is that one thing that Mary ended up choosing? See, I don't believe that the call of this text is for us just to, to merely pursue some kind of monastic, isolated life in, in which we all just kind of sit around and read our Bibles and just pray all the time. And my challenge for us is not, is not merely just that, hey, we just need to like have more regular quiet time with God and just read our Bibles more. Although that, that might be a, a crucial part of it for many of us. It's not just this call to like add something else or just do a little bit more activity in this one area. But this is actually like, like this call to us collectively as a people to consider our priorities. What, what really is most important, and not just what we say in theory are our priorities and what's most important, but actually what shapes the things that we build our lives around. And when we ask, hey, what is critical to our Christian walk? What is critical to our life as a community, as a people? There's so many things that we could, we could put on that list. But I think this passage can point us to just three general categories that I think we have to see as necessary elements for us, no matter what the season of life is. And I think we see this in the posture of Mary. And they are the necessity of the Word, the necessity of worship, and the necessity of the community. We see the necessity of the Word. Mary listened to Jesus' teaching. She, she wanted to know what her Master, what her Lord had for her to help shape her, to, to help her understand how she should live. What does that look like for you? What is the place of the Word in your life? 
Whether that's regularly saying, hey, I have to find time to be in the Word of God. My own reading it. I have to give attention to, to what that looks like in community, whether that's through life group or a, a small journey group, to say I, I need to be held accountable to, to know God's Word, for it to be shaping my life, to commit regularly to joining in this community as, as, as we've been walking through the book of Exodus, whether that's here regularly in person or even online, or just regularly making sure that, that, that we're, we're involved, we're hearing from that. That has been so encouraging to me as, we, as we've walked through Exodus to see what God's doing and is unpacking this narrative of God's using a people and calling them to Himself, leading them into freedom. Are you shaped more in your emotions by your Twitter and Facebook feed than by the Word? Like what do you actually give your time your attention to? What are the voices that you make space for in your life? For some of us, those things can be good sources. Good sources of news to stay up on things, to understand what's going on, how we should react and respond. But at some point, we all just need to cut off a little bit of that extra noise to provide space for, and so we don't crowd out and push out the necessity of the Word of God in our lives. We have to commit to the necessity of the Word. We have to commit to the necessity of worship. Mary sat at Jesus' feet in the posture of a disciple wanting to learn from her teacher. But Mary didn't just stay there. Later on, we learn about Mary in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. In Jesus' last visit to their, their, their town before His death. And at that point, we see in that story how, how Mary took at dinner a, a, a bottle of expensive perfume. And she took it, she poured it on Jesus, and she wiped His feet with her hair. Mary grew into a worshiper of Jesus. She grew to love Jesus. Not just as a teacher, but as her Lord. In case you didn't know, uh, Chad Barlow started a podcast uh, this last summer. And he recently uh, interviewed Cole Stralo on there. And they talked about worship and liturgy. I commend it to you. Check it out. And in that, they were kind of trying to define, hey, how should we think about worship? What is that? And I think Cole helpfully kind of gave these categories of kind of active worship that we enter into regularly, even in specific forms as we come together and gather and sing praises together as we give attention to preaching. But there's also this aspect of passive worship in which all of our life is lived and shaped in a way that is oriented towards God. I think we need to wrestle through what does that look like? Is church and, and gathering here just kind of this, this thing that you give attention to that feels good? And then kind of your whole other life is separated? Or, or is there an integration of, of who you are as a person in community that shapes everything of, uh, that you do in a way that, that is oriented towards God? What does is, what is worship in your life look like? Cole also kind of, kind of unpacked this idea of liturgy. And in a formal sense for, for, for what we do, it refers to kind of the order and repetition of, of how we organize things, you know, when we get together, when we gather. 
And there's something that, that, that's shaping in that. There's some intentionality of what we're seeking to do in terms of rehearsing this grand narrative over and over every week as we come together. But the reality is that all of us have a liturgy of life. Those regular patterns and rhythms that we give ourselves to. That shape us. That form us. Whether we actually recognize it or not. What is that first thing you do in the morning? What are your, what is your evening rhythms? The, the things that you give attention to. All of that shapes this, this liturgical rhythm that we live in. I think we as the people of God need to, need to reflect on those rhythms of life, those things that we give ourselves to and how they shape us. How they form us. The, the vision of life that those things are actually setting before us, that are, they're actually drawing us into. But as the people, we cannot neglect the necessity of worship. And the last thing is the necessity of the community. Mary did not just sit there by herself, just her and Jesus. But she actually joined in with the disciples, with this group following Jesus, to hear together. And at the crossing, this foundation of the importance and the value of the community has been a foundational hallmark of, of what we have what we have called people do since the very beginning. God doesn't just save us individually and, and just kind of walk our lives, you know, one on one, just me and Jesus, but He actually unites us to a people, brings us into relationship with other believers. The absolute necessity to to live in life in relationship with others, so that we can be challenged, so that we can be shaped by each other. It's so crucial. And in this season, in this time, has that for you maybe been something that's easy to kind of see in the unnecessary category? That's kind of nice and convenient when I can get there, when I can, you know, include that in my life. Or is, is the people that God has united, united you to absolutely essential for your life and your walk? There's so many things that, that could be said about each of these. But my simple plea here is for us as a people, as us individually, to, to, to deeply consider what is necessary in life. What is, what is so critical that we cannot get by without it, that without it we will collapse. We will fall apart. And I think this passage calls us to consider and to commit to the necessity of the Word to worship and to the community. You know, it may be easy for a governor or whatever to kind of kind of view and say, hey, like church services or whatever is is, you know, that's that's something that we can cut out right now. That we can we can kind of label that as, as kind of unnecessary in a sense. But I think we as the church have to have to say, no, like like that's something we cannot give up. We cannot give up each other. It may look different. I think there is a, a, a place in a, in a time where, where we, we have two services, where we, where we minimize numbers and we, 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 we seek to, to reduce the spread of a virus. But as we do that, we have to fight to give attention to the gathering of God's people in whatever ways that that can, can, can manifest itself. 
If your tendency is just to kind of unplug because it's hard and kind of step back until it gets back to normal, I think on the other side of this, you're going to see the, the, the effect of that in your own life. This is a call for us to press in together. To, to maybe just reach out to that other person in your life group who you know is struggling. Maybe if you feel isolated in this time, don't just wait and say, hey God, where's me? Send somebody along to me. Maybe take that step and reach out to them and say, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can we connect somehow? God is meant for us to, to, to come together to care for one another, to, to love one another. And sometimes, you know, the, the greatest and most loving thing you can do is actually go and be with that person. So we have to wrestle through that, what that looks like for us as a community in this time. But ultimately, there is a call to, to see the community of God's people as so vital and necessary for us. You know, whenever, whenever I preach, as I'm preparing, I'm always kind of trying to wrestle through and think about, you know, hey, what does our church body need right now? What is, it, what is the application that, that we as a people you know, know, really need? What is relevant to us? And what's going on? And as I begin to kind of land on this passage as God led me here over the last couple weeks, it became very evident even in my own life that this was far more about what, what God needed me to hear. I hope that you need to hear this, but for me, this was something that I needed to be reoriented to, that I needed to, to reflect on deeply. And so as I stand up here, I don't say these things because I do this all perfectly. I stand up here preaching to myself more than anyone. You know, over the past number of weeks and months, I mean, there's been just so many challenges and so many things that we've tried to wrestle through, and I felt this overwhelming sense of obligation to just stay on top of things, to know what the latest news is, you know, to, to know what the regulations are and how we, how, how we should proceed as, as a church. And I found myself just, just reading and researching, trying to understand things so much. I, these were things that I felt like I needed to give myself to. I needed to, to understand. I read more scientific medical journals in the last few months than ever in my life, just trying to, just trying to get my head around all these kind of confusing and differing voices that I was hearing. Still don't know if I have any answers, but, but it's been this, this, this labor and this effort. And what I think I saw over, over, over time was that I had allowed so many important things and things that I was called to, to do in terms of leading and, and caring for this church to, to kind of overshadow and push out kind of the necessity in my own heart, my own life of, of just quiet devotion and worship of God. And earlier this week, I just I found myself just, just needing to take a moment. I went and I walked around City Park Lake. I took a, this, this little book of Romans that I have, and I just, just read through it. And I hit Romans 8, and, and God just, just, just spoke to me. He just challenged me in so many ways. You can't not read Romans 8 without being challenged and encouraged, without having your, your eyes just lifted up from everything that you're seeing and feeling to just behold that God has it all under control. He is ruling. He is reigning. And He will sustain us through it all. And so in this simple story about two women, the challenge for us 
is simple. To continue to ask ourselves, what is, what is most necessary? What is essential for us? And we cannot let what we hear just out there and all the noise determine and shape that for us, but we must turn and look at one like Mary to say, hey, what is most necessary for us is to fight hard, to sit under the Word of God, to long to have a, a life and a pattern of worship to our God both together with other believers and individually in every area of our lives, and ultimately to commit together to the community that God has called to Himself that He has invited and included us in as a part of. Maybe you're here and you don't even understand what that really means. You've kind of heard some of the teachings of Jesus, but you've never actually grown to, to be a worshiper of Jesus. There's an invitation in this for you to cry out, to call upon Him to find something that is far more valuable, far more necessary than anything else in life that we could ever pursue. And that is what's offered to us in the hope of the Gospel in the person of Jesus. So let us be reminded of these things today, this week, as we move forward. I have no idea what this next week is going to bring, what this next season is going to bring, what our gathering is going to be. But I, I know this, that we as a people... And as a church, we'll continue to fight for the primacy of God's Word, the worship of our God, and the community of believers that He has brought to Himself. So let's pray to God for sustaining strength together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this brief story that has been such an encouragement and challenge to my own heart and my own life this week. I pray that we would consider what is most necessary, what is most critical in our lives. Let us not lose sight of the reality that you stand behind it all. You are on your throne. You are ruling and reigning in this world. Let our hearts be drawn to worship you daily. If we need to cut out some of the noise, let us take those steps to fix our eyes and our hearts on you that will sustain us through the challenges and burdens that life may bring. We love you, Father. We rejoice in your goodness today. Let us be a people shaped by your gospel, filled with your spirit, and always drawn to sit at your feet to know you more. And I pray that you would protect and preserve this church, that we would be a light in the city, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, even in this week. And we ask in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.